Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a new podcast from Politics Home. Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Rundown, a weekly podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst, and joining me this week is our political editor, Adam Payne, and political reporter, Eleanor Langford, as we discuss the dramatic resignation of Prime Minister Boris Johnson and ask, what comes next? Can the government function in this interim period without ministers still in place? How long will Johnson be allowed to remain as caretaker Prime Minister? And who are the running riders to replace him? So we're recording this at 3pm on Thursday after, I think we banned a couple of weeks ago saying that it's been a wild week in Westminster, but it, I mean, it really has this week. I think this is the final, I promise that I'll never use that phrase ever again, because I think that's, this is this, kind of... This is the bar, I think. Yeah, this is weeks. wild. This is like, I think the last time was probably the week in 2016 after David Cameron resigned and Boris Johnson was running for leader and, and uh, Michael Gove that was kind of the, the the bar until this week I was gonna say I think a useful barometer of wildness is sort of how far we as individuals have deteriorated and, <laughs> uh, I'm not not ashamed to admit to you and the readers that I had a Lucas at 7 a.m this right morning, right and I'm currently on having another one <laughs> I've lost track of the sort of dubious energy drinks that I've, I've consumed but it's been an absolutely extraordinary week yeah I mean absolutely extraordinary so so we're probably a bit of a shambles but as, as we as we speak it's three o'clock which means that right now Boris Johnson's cabinet what exactly the makeup of that cabinet looks like it's still really to be to be understood we had numerous members of his top team resigning over the past few days and yet despite all of that this morning number 10 began to make some more appointments to push some people back into it so just remind us ellie who left the cabinet of of all these resignations we've seen and who has since replaced uh, those people yeah, Adam and I were on the terrace in Parliament when that all kicked off. Suddenly there was like a ripple of realisation about, I think it was just after 6pm, Rishi and Sajid went. And what followed was a very slow trickle of PPS's ministers. Mm. The bigger resignations after them didn't actually come until Wednesday evening. That is when we had Michael Gove being sacked. We had Simon Hart. Am I missing anyone for Wednesday? Brandon Lewis. Brandon Lewis actually resigned very early this morning. Right. Very, very early Thursday, Thursday morning. morning. Although it had been discussed on Wednesday evening that he that he was going to go, although that might have just been a bit of excitable reporting, of which there has been quite a lot around this week. Yeah, and then also Suella Braverman did not resign, but she said she had lost faith in the Prime Minister on mm. Wednesday evening, which in usual circumstances would be enough for her to lose her job. However, she was not sacked no. and remains in post currently, as far as we're aware. So that's a quite a fascinating one. The, the two-day-old education sec. Yes. Did she resign? She did, yes. Um, yeah. Michelle Donnellan. We, like, sort of, it was, it's, it was, it's the third this day. This is another illustration <laughs> of our so collective collapse. There's, um, been, there's been three education secretaries in, mm. in three days because uh, this morning as part of the, the kind of the, the reset, the, the latest and perhaps last reset that Boris Johnson will do as Prime Minister, he hired James Cleverly, uh, yeah. a long-term ally of his, to, to be uh, education secretary. He also hired Robert Buckland to come back into the cabinet as well. Secretary to replace Simon Hart. And also we saw Greg Clark. Greg Clark came back in as levelling up. And uh, Kit Malthouse. Yes. Chancellor of Duchy of Lancaster and Charlesh Vara at Northern Ireland. Right, exactly. So it's an interesting situation that, that the fact is that in any drip of resignations we saw over the week was it an attempt to prize Boris Johnson out. And in the end, we did have his speech outside Downing Street today, suggesting that he will step down when the the Conservative Party elects a new leader and that person becomes the new Prime Minister. But he hasn't sort of stood down straight away. And in a sense, he's been quite defiant all the way through. He's kept 
bringing people back into government. He's suggesting that he's going to create more policy in the time. And actually, the suggestion is that he wants to stay on perhaps as long as, as till October. I'm sure we'll get onto that later. But I think, Adam, let's just go back to where this all started. You know, we're a week on, essentially, from the first time that we started to discover that there was going to be a big scandal breaking. Our now ex-colleague, Noah Hoffman, who broke the story about Chris Pincher, you know, was working on this on, on Thursday evening. We're now sort of seven days on. You know, what kind of happened in that period to bring on this demise and how did it kind of accelerate in the way that other scandals that have broken mm. have not done so? It accelerated rapidly, didn't it? Particularly the last few days, things moved in a fundamental way and very, very quickly. But looking back to last, well, late last week when Noah first brought the story the the early signs were that Downing Street didn't have its story straight on this yeah early on there were questions about what the PM knew about Chris Pincher his behavior the allegations involving him when he decided to make him deputy chief whip earlier in the year back in February Downing Street was under pressure over the weekend to, to clarify what exactly the PM knew and when on Monday we learn that the position we were given by the PM in Downing Street late last week was wrong, thanks to a report from friend of Paul Hall, Myoni Wells, at the BBC. She revealed that the PM had been briefed on a formal complaint about Chris Pincher while he was a minister at the Foreign Office, a complaint that was upheld, so not just an allegation, a complaint that was upheld. That detail, which was then confirmed by the PM spokesperson that he, the PM was aware had been briefed on this. And then also as well as worth saying, the line we got with that just felt risible that why didn't the PM remember this briefing on Friday last week? The line was, well, he forgot. He, he, he forgot this conversation, which I think for everyone, the widespread reaction was just incredulity. That detail that, you know, the PM was aware, he was briefed about Pincher while in the foreign office. It was the straw that broke the camel's back for a number of Conservative MPs who were already approaching the end of their tether with this Many leader. of whom had given him a sort of a last roll of the dice yeah, yeah. after the, the vote of confidence. And it did feel as though, again, it was... The, the Pincher scandal in itself is bad. The, the idea that, that these allegations of misconduct were sort of, you know, swept under the carpet effectively. Mm. But it, in a sense, again, it's not necessarily the actual... The issue itself, it's more the way that it was handled. I mean, the first response we got at the end of last week when Chris Pincher stood down as Deputy Chief Whip, was to sort of suggest that he'd done the decent thing. And there was no suggestion that he would have to lose the Conservative Whip. And it took a took a complaint to the Independent Grievance Service for the government, to, for the Conservative Party to act. And then over the weekend, we had numerous ministers being sent out onto broadcast, essentially not with the true information. And, 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 and effectively, they were starting to look pretty angry about it. And that, I think, was cited in a lot of letters, resignation letters and letters of no confidence have been going in saying that you know their colleagues were being sent out, Will Quince especially, were mm. being sent out with the wrong information and that just simply that they'd been lied to by number 10 in perhaps the way they've been lied to over, over Partygate and that essentially they could no longer do that, no longer go along with that. I think the big thing to remember as well is that after the, the whole Partygate saga and the Sue Gray report, the big promise from number 10 was that the operation has changed yeah. mm. and that things are going to change. And a lot of MPs accepted that. Yeah. And they said, yep, they put in a new team. They've got people in. They had um, uh, to come in and, and everyone. 
And so that means that things are now going to get better. And then this happens. And so much of that just came down to poor management in number 10. Yeah. They're just making the same mistakes again and again. And it's very hard to believe anything that's coming out of number 10 because they were changing their story on Friday. During that briefing, there was a couple of things that didn't add up. So it was very clear early on, like like Adam said, that they just did not have their story the Suggestion straight. that, you know, that, that Boris Johnson was not aware of specific allegations. Yeah. But there was unsubstantiated rumours and that was not the reason mm. not to hire him which felt like that was a line that was never going to hold and obviously it did over the weekend but in a sense by holding on to that line they just seem to have upset yeah. more colleagues and, and, and actually that's part of the reason why you know when Rishi Sunak and, and Sajid Javid went on Tuesday evening people quickly started to follow. That's true and two points on that I think the sort of smoke and mirrors and the very careful selection of language Yeah, I think almost to MPs felt like they were trivialising what we're talking about here, which yeah. is very serious allegations of sexual assault. And on Friday, when the genesis of what we can now describe as the collapse of Boris Johnson's leadership, I actually spoke to someone in Downing Street who was tearing their hair out. They were absolutely incandescent and bewildered that someone in Downing Street had put out that line that Pinter had fallen on his sword, done the right thing, no further action necessary, Let's just move on. My understanding is the person I spoke to was one one of many in Downing Street who couldn't believe the response coming from the highest levels of the operation, i.e. Johnson's inner circle. And as soon as, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, you felt it was in the air, wasn't it? It was really in the air. The anger was, it was palpable and you could just feel the party moving against Johnson very, very quickly. And you saw people who up until now had been incredibly loyal or people who decided not to put their head above the parapet, who were it felt very different. Public. It felt very different to the vote of no confidence. Yeah, in the sense really that yeah. That time there was still lots of loyalists, lots of the 2019 intake, uh, lots uh, all the ones who'd been made PPSs who were climbing up the ministerial ladder. You know, none of them had come out. And then this week we've suddenly got people like Jonathan Gullis and Lee Anderson, people who you would think are absolute, you know, true blue Boris loyalists. And similarly, what was what became known as the delegation, which was a number of uh, a number of cabinet ministers who ended up going to to Downing Street to confront the Prime Minister Wednesday afternoon after after Prime Minister's questions when I think Keir Starmer had probably had his best ever showing at, at Prime Minister's questions and Boris Johnson had, had done really badly and not been able to explain the situation away. He then decided to go to the liaison committee, which is a thing that as Prime Minister is awful, like it's the, the thing that they hate doing the most. It's like the champion of champions of select committees, like all the chairs go and, and Boris Johnson took two hours of flack, despite the fact that ministers were resigning left, right and centre. While he was there. While he was, he was there, yeah. ministers were resigning. And he was sort of talking about fertilizer round tables in Africa and electric charging, road pricing. It, it, very, very, it was a very surreal, surreal environment. And meanwhile, members of his cabinet, you know, I thought the two that most stood out to me was Grant Shapps and Priti Patel. You know, Priti Patel, he has, he's been very loyal to and she's been very loyal to him going back years. Grant Shapps ran Boris Johnson's leadership campaign in 2019 and he was the one who was in charge of some of the whipping. So he knew the numbers better than anybody about where the support was. And for those two to part of this delegation of cabinet ministers telling Boris Johnson that you know the game is up I think at that point it really became a case of of, of when and not if and obviously 24 hours later we're now in, in this position you know we had the Prime Minister's speech outside Downing Street Ellie what did you make of what the Prime Minister said it was I contrast it to the last time we had one of these which was Theresa May in 2019 it was quite different 
It was quite different. I saw somebody post on Twitter actually saying that it felt more like a leadership pitch than a a resignation resignation speech. There was very, very little contrition, if any. Um, I I didn't hear him say sorry, did you? No. And there was a very strange line, which has upset quite a lot of MPs, which was, I forget the exact wording now, but talking about the herd and when the herd moves, Mm. um, you know, it can't be stopped. Referring to his MPs, and that, I think he sort of trivialised their complaints and quite a lot of MPs, some of which were his like most loyal supporters, mm. have come out. James Daly, a Barry North MP, being one of them, saying that, you know, this wasn't a mass herd thing. This was a lot of individual MPs coming to a very difficult decision and sort of suggesting that calling them a herd, who's just moving en masse, really puts them down. And it, yeah. it didn't, it, he thanked, you know, a lot of his, his supporters and things and talked about all the things that he wanted to get done. But he didn't really talk much about his MPs. He seemed to be blaming his MPs for, for getting rid of him. Yeah, too, absolutely. Too soon. Absolutely. He talks, he talks about you know only a handful of points behind in the polls, even in midterm after quite a few months of pretty unrelenting sledging. You know, and he said that as as we've seen at Westminster, the herd is powerful, and when the herd moves, it moves. Basically, saying that that they've been sort of like they're just sort of sheep, and that they've just gone along with it, and they've all thrown in their lot with this kind of like. Uh, I've heard other still the loyalists talking about some sort of bloodlust against Boris Johnson and not an understanding that, you know, we go back to the three Ps, you know, Owen Patterson last year and the way that was handled, Partygate, obviously, and now the Chris Pincher affair. You know, th- that's very good. <laughs> I, 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 can't claim cre- I can't claim credit for it, but I think it's a, it's a neat oh. summation of kind of where things have got to. And the fact is that, that Johnson did not seem to acknowledge that. Instead, understandably, he talked about what he sees as his successes, but it was sort of a, a lament that he hadn't been able to win over people to let him stay and carry on and not an understanding that actually the reason that he's going to have to stand down is because of failures by him and his administration. Well, I think just to rewind slightly, we're sat here now on Thursday afternoon, just last night, as you had dozens of ministers resigning, there were people in Johnson's inner circle telling him, you know, the game's up, pal. Probably not. Personal word more explosive, but he was brief. His team was briefing last night that yeah. he's fighting on. Yeah, the delegation has bottled it. Zahawi can't wait to get cracking with him on the you know on the economy, on cost of living, and the PM's fighting on. He was inc- despite everything. It was like the meme of the of the guy sat in the burning building and everything around him is falling because you know he was 9 p.m 10 p.m last night he was absolutely determined that he was gonna perform another houdini and, and get himself out of this one so it, it was clear from his speech there was no contrition there were lines in there that have riled tory mp because he, he does he really doesn't want to go does he he absolutely doesn't want to go mm. yeah. he, and he he doesn't think he should go that's the thing it's yeah not that he doesn't want to go he doesn't think mm. he should go and that's why i didn't detect any degree of apology or contrition do you think that Boris Johnson thinks that his political career is over because it was clear David Cameron I think knew when he stood down that that was it for him in frontline politics and he then stood down as an MP pretty soon afterwards Theresa May acknowledged again that that was the end of frontline politics for her although she has obviously stayed on as an MP she was actually giving a speech to the IFG about sort of probity in in public life just as Boris Johnson was about to give his speech but for Boris Johnson do you think that this is kind of you know is he going to go back to being a backbencher for Oxbridge and then have another tilt at the cabinet or do you think that, that you know 
that he will understand that this is perhaps over for him in frontline politics too. Well, I think there was all those reports maybe a year ago now that he didn't have any money. Right. So I, I can imagine that he's probably already thinking about his next book and his uh, column Well, he can finally finish that Shakespeare that book Shakespeare that he's been book. trying to write yeah. for about a decade. No, yeah. he's, he's completely, he's not the kind of man that will be like Theresa May did, go to the backbenchers, come sort of an elder statesman, yeah. be off at the opera on, on Monday nights. So she, she was at, was it Monday night or Tuesday night? Oh, it was night? Tuesday night she Tuesday was Tuesday yeah, night yeah, yeah. she was at the opera when everything was kicking off. And I agree with Ellie. I really struggle to imagine Johnson returning to the backbenches. I think because uh, Johnson, you know, he, he's a he's a student of the classics of literature. And I, I do really feel like Johnson felt this job was his destiny. Yeah, this was sort of the climax of his story, and now that's it. it, it yeah, it, and he got, definitely got a sense of that from the speech. It did feel as though it was like everything we're building up to this, and he felt there was yeah. a lot more to be done. Right? Yeah, I, I imagine he might return to being a columnist, perhaps. Or yes. Indeed, um, on some after dinner speeches, uh, <laughs> but I think what what that brings it on to now is that obviously he he has admitted that he will have to go. That a leadership contest will be will be kicked off. We understand we'll get the process for that at the start of next week. There's a chance, obviously, that you know, there's lots of MPs are throwing their names into the hat. That that parliamentary element of that process could take, you know, a week or more, and then obviously the final two names would go to the Tory membership. Last time this happened in 2019, there was a series of hustings and it took a couple of months for that to to come through. That would obviously mean that Boris Johnson would stay in Downing Street for, you know, perhaps two, three months. Are we starting to get the sense from Tory MPs that that's not really an acceptable course of action? And, And actually, perhaps because of Boris Johnson's speech more than anything, that is now looking like as though it won't be able to happen. Yeah, I mean, this sort of touched on, I don't think I can really underestimate how angry MPs were this week and not just MPs staff people across parliament you know I was talking to them and they were just some of them were genuinely livid some were just despondent they just had had enough because they really really felt let down and when the relationship with your MPs has broken down to that extent it is really hard to see how you can continue on for a couple more months which is you know often what does happen that people stay on Theresa May stayed on until Boris Johnson was elected in but there's, there's already been calls just as we were coming in to record the podcast. Former Prime Minister Sir John Major has um, come forward and says that Boris Johnson should go now. Yeah. One caveat to all of this is that the summer recess is coming up. Yes. So we will be seeing a lot less of Boris Johnson if he does stay on. Yeah. So those, those questions about parliamentary business, because we've had sort of like bill committees are cancelled today and questions in the House are going to be quite difficult, given that lots of departments don't have any ministers currently obviously we do only have about 10 days left of parliamentary business before the summer recess so yes we could lose the government could lose some time for legislating but it wouldn't be as though they'd be paralyzed for quite a long time because they would imagine by the time uh, the commons gets back in september that a new leader would be in place but i think you know more broadly this idea of boris johnson as a caretaker prime minister does feel as though it's a bit of, of an anathema adam what are the kind of the options essentially if boris johnson can't stay on in, in number 10 until a new leader well, is found i spoke to three senior tory mps this morning about seven o'clock eight o'clock as silver dust was kind of settling on on last night and all of them when i put to them you know what, what do you think about this idea of the pm resigning as Tory party leader today and then staying as PM until October. And they all said absolutely no chance. Yeah. Absolutely no chance, particularly after how he behaved yesterday with the sacking of Michael Gove, with his his, his, his sort of, I think it was put to me, his demeanour, mm. his tone. 
Ellie spoke about the anger of the Tory party last night was volcanic. Unlike anything I've experienced since been you know, doing this job, one of these MPs put to me that like he has angered colleagues so much, burnt so many bridges that the idea of him staying in power and you know fought for four months mm. uh, is just what are the options? Look, John Major has called for the PM to be booted out immediately. That strikes me as being very unrealistic. I think what's going to happen is. Obviously, the 1922 committee next week is going to vote on its new membership. This membership is probably going to be, well, I guess the Tory party by definition now is anti-Boris. But mm. the 1922 committee will vote on a timetable for the leadership contest. And the PM's talked about staying on until the autumn. What I could see is some sort of compromise being reached between the PM and the Tory party in which they say, right, we're going to get this leadership contest going quickly. We want it done quickly. And we want the new PM in position by the time we all come back from summer recess. So Parliament goes into a six-week six holiday in a couple of weeks' time, returns early September. If I was to guess, this will probably age terribly. I think we'll have a new PM in place by early September. Then that way the new PM will have his or her feet under the desk for a few weeks before the Tories head to Birmingham for their um, annual conference. Yeah. Well, don't, don't worry. I think this whole podcast will age very Not badly true. anyway. Yeah. It's fine. There's been talk about whether Dominic Raab would, would come in as a sort of a caretaker prime minister. Constitutionally, we don't really have a system to allow that to take place. And I, I think you were touching on there about Boris Johnson's sort of attitude. I think his suggestion that he would use this time to enact various policies, I think worries a lot of people as well, because it's not as though he's been fairly constrained anyway. And he'd be completely off the leash if he knew that he was leaving very quickly. So I can understand why people want to get this sorted. But the fact is that there's probably likely to be quite a lot of people vying to take over. And I don't think essentially there is, unlike the way that after David Cameron quit and Theresa May took over, you know, the candidates either blew each blew each other up or blew themselves up. And, and in the end, Theresa May took over very quickly. This feels as though it could be quite a drawn out period. We had, I think we had 13 names in the hat in 2019. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with, with more than that this time. I think we're looking at about 56. Yeah, well. I think. <laughs> on the current trajectory. I think so. But just quickly, Ellie, who are the kind of the, the front runners, you think, at the moment? Who are the ones who are already picking up support? Who are the ones you're already kind of hearing that their leadership campaigns are already, we know that they've already sort of, some of them have been staffing their campaigns already. And we know that, you know, for example, I think Rishi Sunak was building a bit of a war chest earlier this year, but are there other MPs who are sort of building similar campaigns already? Yeah, I think probably within about a minute of uh, Boris Johnson announcing he was going, the phones were already ringing, it seems. So <laughs> they waited no time, but you're, you're completely right. A lot of these teams have been quietly put in place for months. Mm. One of those that has been making manoeuvres for some time is Liz Truss. Yeah. There was the fizz with Liz that was going on a while back where she yes, was indeed. bringing in MPs to have a bit of champagne and talk about policy and nothing else, not nothing to do with leadership, <laughs> but was seen as a veiled attempt to build support. 
Uh, you, um, inter- you interviewed Jeremy Hunt, didn't you, a few, a few months ago for the House magazine, and it was clear at that point he was already thinking about whether he was going to run. And obviously since then, it seems as though he's kind of stepped up things as well. Yes, he's been making a lot of very careful moves. Um, well, not that, that careful. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks they're very careful, I'm sure. Making it clear that he would be interested again in the future. And obviously he was a former health secretary, foreign secretary and culture secretary. So he's a very experienced man in that regard. Popular choice with the party, according to polling, is Ben Wallace, the current defence secretary. But I'm not so sure about how popular he'd be with the, the country. He's not sort of well-known, I don't think, outside of Westminster. No, he's not so well. He's, I mean, he's, he's, had, he's, he's done quite well in the last couple of months in terms of the, the Ukraine stuff. But the other one that often is talked about, and actually someone we've heard very little of this week, you know, despite everything that's been going on, is, is Penny Mordaunt. Adam, what do you think her chances are of, of perhaps getting down to the final two? Because I think what we need to remember in all of this is it's not going to be a straight vote between sort mm. of all of the candidates going down. The, the way that it works in the Conservative Party is that they MPs vote on their sort of first preference and they get whittled down until you get down to two final candidates and that then goes out to the Tory membership for a vote. What do you think the chances are of, there being, of Penny Mordaunt perhaps being the one of those last two candidates? Well, before we get on to Penny's chances, uh, in a sort of shameless trumpet blowing, it was Politics Home, <laughs> which first reported that Penny Mordaunt may, may prove to be a Tory leadership candidate. But Penny Mordaunt, let's look at the, what people argue the pros of Penny Mordaunt. She is a minister, but I think there feels like there's a lot of distance between her and the prime minister that means she's not stained by the last few months of scandal and controversy in the way that other other ministers are she's a brexiteer but is also seen as a as a a one nation tory so she has potential to unite different parts of the party what's working against her i think in the tory party there are lots of mps who like the idea of penny morden who are completely averse to it in theory but in practice are they gonna translate that into actual support i'm not completely convinced and also we have some polling that's been put out this afternoon by Ipsos Mori, and this um, polling essentially questions how leadership candidates would perform against Keir Starmer yeah. right now. We've got Sunak, Javid, Wallace, Truss, Rab, Hunt, Patel, Zahawi, Gove, Morden. We already know that Gove and Rab are not going to go for it. But Keir Starmer is more popular than all of those people, apart from Rishi Sunak, who has one percent lead so you know the Tory party is in a very bad position at the moment it's on course to lose the next election and so if they are to think seriously about who's going to keep us in Downing Street who's going to keep us in government then that's where I, f- I feel that why Penny Mordaunt might not go that far that deep into the contest once it gets underway. Yeah I, th- I think Sunak is probably one of the only politicians the other politicians apart from Johnson and Starmer who has actual sort of name recognition mm. out in the country, obviously thanks to kind of the furlough scheme, eat out to help out. It, it, it raised his visibility massively, became mm. a sort of a, a cult figure for, for better or, or worse during the pandemic. Yeah, and so. I, I just tell Sunak as well, like it's interesting because we, uh, was it a month or two ago, we were talking about how Rishi Sunak's personal brand had completely collapsed. Yeah. And he was unbelievably unpopular. But yeah. There was still a pulse. It wasn't completely <laughs> dead. And it's interesting that he's he's still on the pitch. Yeah, I think, I think part of that was to do with whether it hurt him if he was going to be someone that was standing mm. against Johnson. I think now there's going to be an open field. I do think there's a yes. slight reset 
on that. And I think obviously he's, if we look at the kind of how well made up the campaigns are, I think mm. he's certainly got the people behind him. He's got some quite serious people I know that have been working with him yeah. and he's got some allies in, in parliament. Well, Ellie, what, what were you going to say about, about Sunak's chances? That I've been speaking to MPs this morning about the calls that they're getting. Yeah. And the two names that come up first with calls were Rishi Sunak and Tom Tugendhat, who we've not actually mentioned yet. But yes, um, Rishi has already got a very strong team in place. He's had a lot of support for a very long time. He's very mm. well liked among his colleagues. Yeah. And it's funny, his team has kind of put forward that, oh, you know, it's the right thing for him to run. Whereas Liz Truss has always been seen like she wants to be prime minister and she's really pushing for it. But the feeling in Westminster is that Rishi Sunak is such an obvious choice that of course mm. he would go forward and run. And they have been making calls to that effect this morning. I remember the height of party gear, particularly there was that press conference where Sunak essentially had a pop at the PM over his Jimmy Savile. Yeah. And I remember at that point, if there'd been a contest at that point, it felt like Rishi Sunak was an absolute walk-in. Yeah. It wouldn't be a title race. It'd be like a 20-point margin of victory. Whereas now, Sunak is a contender. Yeah. But he's one of... Yeah, he's half not, a dozen people who. Yeah, who I th- obviously the win. stuff around his his tax and his wife's sort of non-dom status. I think, mm. you know, I think that put a, a dent in it. I think interestingly, you talked about Tom Tugan out there. Uh, Damien Green, who's the head of the the One Nation group of Tory MPs, he personally endorsed Tom Tugan hat this this lunchtime sort of already Tom Tugendhat has not publicly said that he's even running but I think we, we, we know that he probably has ambitions mm. to that job as well and, and therefore he could be certainly a contender and I think actually given the kind of status of the Conservative Party at the moment and the kind of anger with what's been going on perhaps someone from outside of the cabinet Tom Tugendhat is a chair of a select committee but he's never had a, a ministerial role mm. whether he might have a chance at making it into those that final two but we could talk about loads more names you, you, you Adam you wrote about Jake Berry the leader of the Northern Research Group being yeah. you know b- putting his hat in the ring as well so I think we're gonna have Swella Braverman as, as Ellie mentioned earlier she's already created uh, Swella's already created a Swella for Prime Minister Twitter account <laughs> right right wasting okay. no time <laughs> absolutely so it feels as though there's, there's, a, there's an awful lot of, the, of this to come I think those are the kind of the, the the ones that we'll be looking at and I'm sure in future podcasts we'll hopefully get some of them on and we'll we'll look yeah. at that as we go but, well, but I think there is a feeling shared by a significant number of MPs that after the calamity of the last few months and the, the disgrace and the scandal that the next leader has to be someone fresh from the back benches who've been who've been at least at arm's length from what's been going on mm. um obviously there are some candidates from within cabinet who who, who stand, but that's why it's going to be such a wide race because you're going to have all sorts of, there are all sorts of people, all sorts of schools of thought as to who, who's going to get the Conservative Party out of this rather massive hole that Boris Johnson has put them in. Mm. So I'll finish by asking you both, not um, not oh. who you think is going to be leading, because predictions like that, but mm. we've had a pretty busy seven days, probably going to have another busy seven days. You know, where are we going to be at next week? Do we think that Boris Johnson is still going to be in Downing Street or do we think there's going to be plans for him Will we be seeing the the removal vans uh, outside the black door? God, I'm so reluctant to predict things, Alan. Uh, <laughs> even when you ask so politely. 1922 is going to meet next week. That's a fact. Yeah. Is going to have their election. That's a fact. We're going to have a new. That's like Rafael Benitez. Yeah, yeah. Facts. Uh, <laughs> These are my facts. Um, one one for the Liverpool fans there. And we're going to have a new 1922. They're going to vote on a timetable. So next week. We're going to have clarity. We're going to have an answer to the question, the question of when this leadership contest going to take place, and we'll probably have a lot more clarity, if not a concrete answer, on when the ne- the next prime minister 
will be in Downing Street. So I don't think the PM is going to be booted out next week. But what's interesting, Keir Starmer this morning said that if the Tory party doesn't crack on with getting rid of the PM, the Labour Party is going to force a confidence vote in the House of Commons. And how does Sajid Javid vote on that? How does Rishi Sunak vote on that? It's um... Well, I, I mean, after, after having the last few weeks, I'm not sure I want to be start preparing also, for an election. I, I imagine that 50% of the Tory party will have declared their leadership ambitions as well <laughs> by, 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 by this time next week. And so Ellie, what do you think then? I'm just going to wildcard prediction. Larry, the Downing Street cat, will be in charge by then. <laughs> Everyone will have resigned. Well, he's got the most experience of anyone left in Downing Street, I think. <laughs> he's been so. there the longest. Now, I think I've been universally wrong with those predictions. It's moving so fast. We could be anywhere, but I think Adam's got got a good summary there. Yes, yeah. Larry the cat for PM. Right, well, let's, uh, let's do this all again next week and see how well those predictions have aged. But you can keep up to date with all the latest on the Tory leadership race, Boris Johnson's grip on power, and every other big Westminster story at politicshome.com. Keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven-day-a-week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right corner of the website. Thanks to my colleagues Adam Payne and Ella Langford for helping make sense of this very fast-moving situation. And thank you all again for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast to keep up to date and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter, at Politics Home, or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, have a great weekend and be sure to listen again next week. I've been Alan Tolhurst, and this has been The Rundown. <laughs>